You're listening to the She Lift Project podcast, a show dedicated to helping women achieve higher levels of success in the workplace. No matter where you are in your career, we want to help you grow. Now here's your host, Cynthia Kirkpatrick, a CPA, CFP, and Senior Financial Advisor at Mineta Group. Hello and welcome to another episode of the She Lift Project podcast. I'm Cynthia Kirkpatrick and happy to have you with us today. And we're also excited to have a friend, also professional, successful female, Jennifer Bardot with us. How you and I met was through the GRIT community that you've been building just over two years ago, the first GRIT book launched. I was uh, lucky enough to be a part of that. Carrie Burgraff introduced us, and it was a very amazing, uh, uplifting experience for myself, but 39 other women, you being one of them, Carrie, who came together for this anthology to talk about our stories. So building that GRIT community from the first book to now an anthology, many, many more women both joining in on the books plus in the community. So I don't want to keep talking about this because this is your thing, but essentially add some color to everything I just said about where you're at today and a little bit more maybe about how the group community. Yeah. So thank you. I'm really excited to be here. So, and I was thrilled that you were a contributing author and that's essentially how we met and have built upon our friendship. So the first book launched uh, two years ago was April, 2021. And our goal, Carrie and I's goal was to have this launch before Mother's Day. And the whole concept came from um, just truly trying to lift up women in our community because we were struggling through COVID and it seemed as though the community had just been shredded apart. So this was our kind of concept to bring um, voices to life through sharing vulnerable stories, but then also highlight that hardships can then lead to hope. Still supporting women, I continue to build out the GRIT community. It's it's grown from seat at the table, which is also a group Carrie and I had pre-COVID, uh, and then it's been transformed into a group that's virtual with over 815 members now. And now I'm actually launching my fourth anthology, which is Intention, this July. So I have over 160 women who have participated and shared stories. So it's really cool just to see how small steps have led into a bigger wave, you know, bigger uh, ripple effect. But yeah, that's what I'm doing now. Yeah, because you were really successful as a VP in banking. Yeah. And so some might sit back and say, <laughs> you <laughs> right. know where I'm going with this. Oh, yeah. yeah. Why would she leave that yes. to do, to step in a total, well, from the outside, what might seem like a totally new realm of business, world, etc. How and why? It absolutely was a leap. And I had made president circle, senior vice president. I had built out my name and my brand as a banker. And then I realized that I was ready for the next challenge. And I'm always fueled by passion, which is motivating me and has always motivated me. It almost felt like I was jumping into, you know, an unknown world, which is intimidating, but it's also invigorating because I'm kind of creating my own path and figuring it out along the way. So well, I think that knowing your story a little bit more, I did. We didn't even go into all the accolades at the beginning of this that you have <laughs> and the different presentations and you're always speaking. You're always out there on social media with pictures with other women. Here she is again speaking. Here she is again being rewarded and hearing your story probably back in March when you did the that's what she said event I really hadn't known about those early challenges that you had so it seems to be a repeat in your life and you seem to keep somehow you found the way to power through and keep overcoming so let's go back to early on in life some of those struggles yeah this was back in what first second grade is yeah it was 1993 and i'm 39 now so it would have been the third grade um yeah in the third grade so she said it was an incredible experience and um what i had to do is get up on the stage in front of like 700 people and share my story for eight minutes so long story short i have dyslexia so it was not easy to have a script in front of me because I can't read no matter how I try to transpose it. It's always a challenge. So some of the resources that I've kind of just utilized and adapted to is memorizing or just ad-libbing. So in the third grade, a lot of things happen. So um, I shared about this in the book Growth. I was hit by a train. I fell off the train at Six Flags, um, the, the park, the 
the train that goes around the park and I slid right off the bench. I was always really petite and I landed onto the bridge with the 50 foot drop off. And that's the point in my life when I realized that you can die at any age. Like there is nothing that is permanent. Like everything can just disappear in a moment's heartbeat. We were having fun with my mom and my dad and my sister. I had just gotten off this water raft ride. So I was soaking wet and they didn't have a chain at the end of the railing of the train. And I just slid right off onto that bridge. That same year, my great grandma passed away. My grandfather passed away. Um, I had a weird boy in my class tell me that he could see through my clothes. And I'm sitting here thinking, what in the heck is happening? And then like the final kicker was I was diagnosed with a learning disability because I was struggling reading so bad. The um, resource teacher told my mom and I that I was potentially never even going to graduate from high school because I couldn't read and I couldn't comprehend anything. So I was truly struggling through school and life and I just had to adapt and push through. And at the time, they didn't have the resources that they have now to be able to detect that that what that learning disability was was dyslexia so they always would take me to have different iq tests done to show that i had an extremely high iq but there was some sort of deficit and it was because my brain just coded things differently i'm very auditorial learner style so that's kind of how i've adapted but um i think those struggles helped shaped who I am now and my mindset to never give up and to always give it my all. And um, I don't allow myself to stay negative too long. I might be more optimistic than the average bear. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that's kind of who I was in a nutshell. And it definitely helped um, build up my character and who I am today. So let's, let's carry that uh, storyline a little bit further. I imagine almost I, putting it simply which maybe isn't fair but saying that you're not smart enough yeah oh, or yeah. you're not going to be smart all enough. that self-talk was definitely looming and that's what i i talk about that and she said i didn't have a backbone until i could discover it on my own because i took what that woman had labeled me as which was not enough not being capable not being smart enough and accepted that as my truth and my mom was never having that she was like nope you're going to college no ifs ands or buts so we're going to do this and once i was able to prove to myself that i was capable then i reached higher goals and higher limits and i ended up getting two master's degrees i was on dean's list i graduated a semester early and i had most of my graduate school paid for because i held a full-time job, two internships, and a graduate assistantship. So I only left with $15,000 of debt. So I learned how to push myself really hard and then to be able to identify that I was capable. So you said until you learned. Until I learned, yeah. What was it? Is there Was there a certain time or experience where you said, no, I've got this? Yeah. So actually that was, <laughs> this is funny. I can laugh about it now, but it was devastating then. So talk about the ultimate rejection. I applied to every undergraduate program known to man because all my friends are going to college. Well, I got denied to every application that I applied for. So um, through defeat is essentially how I've learned to adapt and continue to push through. So whenever I've hit a big like a lot of rejection all at once. That's usually when I push forward. So with getting accepted nowhere, I started at Merrimack and I completed my associate's degree. I transferred into Fontbonne. And then when I graduated and then I realized that I was capable of getting my bachelor's degree and I actually had a pretty strong GPA, it wasn't Dean's List quality, but it was B's. Um, I saw that I was capable of doing those hard things. So then once I tested the waters, I just kept pushing the limits. So that's from third grade to graduating high school mm -hmm. is in entering college is when you figure it out, you could do it. Yeah. What got you through all of those years? You mentioned your mom. I mean, that can't, how'd you cope? Um, I was not a good child. I was always pushing the limits and I, I, um, I was Which, definitely rebellious. As a mom, you probably know, like you're like, <laughs> right. oh, but oh when you gosh. see yeah. them become an adult, yes. those are those, those are good, good qualities. Traits. I'm very stubborn. I'm very headstrong. I mean, some of those words that are kind of defining who I am and my character. But um, 
I was very independent too. So if I couldn't figure something out, I found another way to get to my yes or to get to the solution. So my mom was always the hammer, more or less the backbone to keep me kind of going down the right path. But that's not to say I was derailed many times along that journey from third grade to high school. I mean, I was kicked off the cheerleading squad senior night. (laughs) So um, for being rebellious and not following the guidelines as a cheerleader. So um but guess what? I still ended up with that scholarship to then transfer into um, Fompon. But yeah, I learned a lot of things along the way. And I think it just came down to learning who I was, which was I was very independent. I was very headstrong. And I was very stubborn. And another word that I don't like is the word no. So when I get the word no, it's just not now. I will always get to the yes. <laughs> yeah when I there's another part of your journey where you talk about your masters mm-hmm. right and and interviewing for that yeah. and the struggle you faced with that which again I think we can learn things from that story about how to get to the yes and persevere but advocate for yourself so absolutely would love for you to share that story again about the whole master's program and getting into that yeah so educators have always been intimidated to me because of the fact that I felt so much judgment when I was around them Um, So the story is, and this is the story I shared in Owning Your Grit, the first book, um, I was super excited because I had gotten to the interview process of the graduate program. And it was a program in Springfield, Missouri. And at the time, I had a cleaning company that I was leading at the Lake of the Ozarks. So I was going to be able to still lead my business and then drive up for evening classes for graduate school was the plan. Well, when I got on campus and I realized that um, everybody had already gone through the interviewing process, I was furious. So I went to the secretary and I said, what's going on? I was given the wrong start time. I pulled up my emails to prove that she had misinformed me and she apologized sincerely, um, but that wasn't enough. So and at the time, I... I was just testing the waters with learning how to advocate for myself. My grandma had just passed away and she was a huge role model in my life. And I think just that that sorrow that I was going through gave me the courage to speak up and have a voice. So what I did is I essentially walked into, well, I knocked on the door where all of the professors were gathering to determine who was going to be accepted into the graduate program. And I knocked on that door until someone answered the door. And I informed them of their, their um, you know, their, how did I frame it? I think I framed it like their, um, I don't know what the word is that I'm looking for here, but more or less how they had really goofed up with, you know, their scheduling and how um, unstructured this program was and this this process was and how I because of their um, their lack of communication, I was going to then have to wait an entire year to reapply to the program. And I told them, I don't know if I will do that or not. (laughs) So you may have potentially lost a candidate. And because I spoke up and informed them of the wrong start time, they gave me an opportunity to interview on the spot. So everybody else had interviewed one-on-one with each of the professors. I took them all on at the same time. And I was just on fire because of the fact that I was I was so upset with um, not having the communication of the right start time and feeling as though I would have to start this entire process that I was so passionate about a year later. They ended up interviewing me. I did, I call it like rapid fire interviewing. And I was the only one that left that day knowing that I had secured a seat into the graduate program. And I mean, that's an important story. So many piece to, pieces to that, right? That you were prepared on when you were supposed to be there. You were ready. If and when you had been told, sorry, they're all done. You could have chosen defeat or said yes you know, th- this is the hand I was dealt. I'm going to wait until next year if I do it, or I'm going to go somewhere else. But instead, you said, no, uh, it wasn't my mistake. It was their error. I deserve a fair shake. And knocking on that door saying, I'm just going to keep working on this until somebody opens. And then you're even given another unfair deal as far as you have to do the rapid fire in front of everybody. Mm-hmm. Do you think you would have, do you think you did better? Sometimes, you know, that that fire, somebody just igniting it a bit, 
lights you up and you you just nail it absolutely you think that if if that hadn't happened to you maybe your experience wouldn't have been walking out and saying i know i have a shot you know i have my my position in this program 100 percent. i think that's something i i learned later in life when i am passionate about something it's that fuel that motivates me and allows me to perform at a higher level I already know I would have walked into those interviews and I would have been timid because I didn't feel as though I deserved a seat or I was capable of being in that graduate program. But when they they showed up and weren't prepared with the right itinerary time for me, I knew I had prepared and I had done all the right things and I was there to earn a, an opportunity to at least have an interview. Um, so yeah, I definitely think I was on fire and I secured that opportunity because I was put on the spot. And you mentioned not really having known how to advocate for yourself at Mm -hmm. that point. So again, maybe that fire helped push you beyond that. How am I going to advocate? Is this rude? Should I? Absolutely. Made you do that. Well, and I wanted it so bad. I wanted to get into that graduate program so bad to essentially I wanted to own my own private practice therapy business um, because I had been in the cleaning industry and I opened a residential commercial cleaning company like the Ozarks and I quickly learned that small businesses are really hard to lead because when you have no overhead your employees can essentially take everything that you've built so I was so passionate about trying to redefine who I was and start something new I had done all of the legwork, and I remember preparing for that a year prior. So when that that day and that conversation happened, I wasn't going to have it because I had done all the right things. So yeah. well, and we kind of glossed over one thing for sure. And there's another thing I know about you. If I remember right, you're the first one in your family to graduate college. Yeah, actually, well, yeah, first generation um, college student on both sides of my family, and the first one with a graduate degree as well. Um, my my grandma hadn't even graduated from high school she got married at 15 had her first child at 18 my mom put herself through night class and my dad's family is all in the trades they've owned a residential well they've owned a commercial company that does um, tuck point and masonry for the past 90 years so nobody had gone to college and that also was kind of one of those defining moments proving to myself that i was capable Especially when so many people told you you weren't. Exactly. Well, that's why I told you I'm stubborn. (laughs) And and I think it's an interesting part of the story, right? Especially as my son is a sophomore. So we're thinking college or no college or whatever the story might be for him. And it's his journey. But a lot of people can be successful without college. Absolutely. Like your family has been. But I think the the silver lining or whatever you want to call it of your story is being told you couldn't that you weren't good enough to do it and not having seen anybody in your family do it yet that would make it even harder to push through yes and i i think i can relate to a lot of first generation college students because even entering into the undergraduate program i remember it was almost like a foreign language hearing words like the registrar or you know like and when you're navigating through that with not having a coach or a supporter to influence based on their experiences it was that much more difficult and i can think back i can laugh about it now but even studying for certain um tests my grandma would come over and i'd be studying but she's trying to have a conversation with me the whole time and i'm like grandma this is college i'm trying to study and she's trying to have a conversation with me and just those things um and just having that mindset of focusing and studying and, and making sure that you're graduating on time because you have to navigate all of that paperwork yourself and check in the boxes. But yeah, it's it's invigorating because I've, I've designed a new path and a new opportunity because now I'm a role model for my children. So then obviously the stages, they can do whatever makes them happy, but it's either college or it's trades or it's some sort of skill. But I definitely think that um, being the first... I was definitely a trailblazer for my family, and I think I've opened up another window or a, another layer for my children to then follow into my footsteps. So. Well, and you glossed over, this was the part I was going to say you glossed over, was, oh, my cleaning company that oh, I started. Yeah. yeah, right. Well, you know, in my family, you just start businesses. So, so how did that come to be and yeah. when? Because 
that must have been either during college or high school or right around there. Yeah, so I graduated from Fontbonne and I took a year off because I wanted to own a business. So I graduated with a business administration degree and I'd already been working for my dad's company as well as my uncle's appraisal company. So I'd seen how they picked up business. And um, yeah, I started a I started an LLC at the Lake of the Ozarks. It was called Premier Cleaning Services. And I did all the marketing and all the promotions and hired a team. Um, and we secured a lot of accounts. And I had not focused on the residential side other than the vacation rentals. So that was right when um, VBRs have come out. So that's how I essentially hustled my portfolio is contacting all of the owners of these vacation properties. And those were my accounts. And then I started working with real estate agents. So whenever they were having a closing, I could, you know, get it cleaned up before the new um, tenants would move in. And then I also had agreements with um, commercial contracting condo companies at the Lake of the Ozarks because there was always a lot of new construction. So whenever there was a new build, our team would go in and clean the properties and get it ready for sale. So, and my aunt actually helped me with teaching me how to negotiate all those bids and contracts. And yeah, it's just, it's something I did and I learned a ton from it. And I was making pretty good money for, you know, a 21-year-old, but I just had bigger aspirations. And I looked 10 years down the road, and I was like, how am I going to grow this into what I envisioned for myself? And I quickly pivoted. I quickly realized that I needed to go back to school and really define who I was and get another designation so then I had another backup plan. Um, So that's essentially what led me into getting my master's in counseling. So, yeah. So lots of, so far in your story, lots of pivots, changes, adapting. Absolutely, yeah. Pushing through new ideas, not being afraid to step into uncharted territory. Yeah. And I think with each of those layers as the onion peels, I've learned so much because I can carry all of those experiences with me. Even before I was in banking, I was leading the financial department for a theological seminary here in St. Louis. And I learned so much about the financial wealth gap. So each of these experiences has shaped me into who I am today. So I'm excited for what the future looks like because I've learned so much and I've learned so much about my limits and my capabilities. So this is probably a silly question, but one I feel like I have to ask anyway. So looking back, Mm -hmm. would you change anything? All those different experiences to where you're at today, would you change anything? Oh, my gut says, oh, yeah, just, you know, go back to what's comfortable and, you know, stay put because you were really successful in a certain role. And I don't think I would have I don't think I would have changed anything. I I wish I could have avoided some of the heartbreak and the um, really big rejections that I had gone through. And I share about those in my story with the anthologies. But each of those experiences has taught me a new lesson to then help me be a better person for my community that I serve. Because I one of my mantras is um, try to be that person that you needed during your darkest times. I've gone through a lot of dark times. So at least my experiences can be shared with others to help prevent them from going down those same paths. But um, I probably wouldn't change anything. I think those lessons have taught me humility. They've taught me how to be empathetic. They've taught me a lot about myself. And um, I'm just excited for what the future holds because I'm like, wow, I've grown so much just in I was doing some reflection with this next book that I'm launching and intention in the past six years has been transformative because I talk about how after grad school, that was pretty much like my, you know, stake in the ground. I got two master's degrees and, you know, I did all of that and only have $15,000 worth of student loan debt. And pretty much as soon as I transferred back to St. Louis, I rolled that into my mortgage. So I had no debt at all. And that was like my big hurrah. Now I can die, right? <laughs> so I I think about that and I'm like, hmm, I wonder what's next because I continue to challenge myself to push forward and to take on bigger challenges. So I'm excited for whatever's next. Yeah, a lot of what we, when when we were talking about getting ready for this, you mentioned your your passion is helping others whether it's through the benefits or through the GRIT community or a million different telling your story to a, a ton of different people. 
And you've also talked about finding out who you are. Mm -hmm. So what was your process to find out, do you think? Yeah. To find out who you were that moment when that aha moment and then share more about what is it about learning those things that has helped you be as successful as you are? Well, and I don't think I'm that successful, so (laughs) that's awesome. Um, I think it's many different, you know, ahas, and I think we're constantly evolving. So um, I utilize reflection quite a bit to to think back who who I was six months ago, who was I a year ago, who was I six years ago. And I think a lot of those ahas came from professional development and just meeting people and having conversations and being to identify our differences because a lot of times we just assume everybody is like us or um and that doesn't allow any of the blind spots to be noted so for me it was taking on a lot of different professional development courses when i went through the Brene brown certification and i I got my 15-hour certification i realized so much about how i lack in having hard conversations and being courageous and that's something that i've tried to step into because it doesn't give myself any value if i can't have my own advocacy for myself Mm -hmm. i can advocate for others but i tend to not do that for myself so Professional development classes have really helped me with just learning more about who I am and what makes me tick and just put it in the work. So obviously grad school was a huge, you know, win when I was able to accomplish something like that because of the fact that I'm, I am, I do have dyslexia. So taking a test and actually graduating and passing the praxis and like all of those things were just it was a confident boost because it reminded me that I was capable. It was just going to take me a little bit longer because I started studying for those as soon as I got enrolled into the program. So three years of studying to be able to take that practice and graduate from it. But um, yeah, professional development classes have really helped and just the conversations with people because we learn so much about others and you know others are essentially the mirror of defining who we are. So just conversations and courses i would say (laughs) conversations and courses i like that yeah (laughs) two c's conversations and courses um you said so many good things there when you think about professional development i know for me right my firm my my day job Mm -hmm. has a lot of offerings plus there's a lot of audiobooks that i listen to while i run right how did you for those out there who may say well my company doesn't provide those things or where do i find the, the that sort of knowledge and inspiration outside of my normal day-to-day where did you go well never say never because my company at the time wouldn't pay for those classes as well but as i started to achieve the um i guess the performance standards that i was producing that's what i asked for instead of asking for more income i asked for professional development courses so never say never it's always an option but i love audible books as well blinkist is an incredible app and you can listen to any short book it's always available um and then i just started looking out in the community what are some of the things that i wanted to learn about so um one of the strategic thinking courses essentially motivated me to then taking another class, which then led to the Women in Leadership program through Focus St. Louis, which then led to Leadership St. Louis through Focus St. Louis. And just, I say curiosity is how you really define the courses that are going to be beneficial to you. Take something that's interesting to you. Take something that is inspiring to you. And then it leads to the next door. It leads to the next conversation or the next curiosity to explore so essentially that's how i've always done it so right now i'm actually vetting out a program through harvard because i want to learn more about negotiation because i told you hard conversations are not my thing so i want to i always step into the places that are challenging to me so obviously that's why i authored a book writing is not my strong suit um, so that's why i decided to do it so for me I explore the things that I'm not good at and I need to improve upon because that's how I'll grow. But it's always kind of forced growth. <laughs> I agree with that. It's something, there's a limit, right? So I'm 5'4", I'm 45. I'm not going to be a professional basketball player <laughs> or a professional volleyball player or or whatever that might be. So know your limits to oh, an yeah. extent. Yeah. However, I'm the same way. Hard conversations it's hard. 
Right. It's difficult and something I'm still not comfortable with. I get better at it. I think, and I don't know, it would be interesting to see why you think it's been hard for you, how you're getting through it and what you've learned from it. Growing up, I feel like in school and the age that I am, you just didn't talk back to your parents. You did what you were told in school. You raised your hand. It, maybe you were called on. It was very stay in your little box, especially I think for girls, how we were raised. And then to get into the professional world where you're not appearing defensive, but you're able to advocate for yourself and have those hard, hard conversations. What has your experience been with that and how have you learned to break through it? So I think I've always lived outside the box. That's where I'm a little bit different um, because I was the girl that couldn't read and most women can read, right? Most girls can read. So I've always lived outside the box. Um, and I've always known my limits because I had to, right? So when I take on a challenge, I've already accepted that I am 100% committed and I'm going to make this work no matter what, right? So for me, um, I've never really fit into that mold, but I've learned how to adapt and try to blend in, right? Because I never wanted to stand out and I never would talk about my disability, so I never wanted to, to be even perceived that any I was different, Um but I don't know. I, I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't know. I think because of the fact that I never did feel as though I fit in, it kind of gave me that motivating factor to always push myself outside that box and to talk to everyone and anyone um, to make sure they all felt included. But I don't know. I've always lived outside the box. <laughs> it's kind of hard for me to fit in the box to be honest like that's more of the challenge so i think for me it's been a lot of audible books so uh re-listening and and uh master class has kim the radical candor on yeah. again and i'm listening to her again to go through it so a mm -hmm. lot of different books on how to advocate how to have the conversation communicate how to start how to be open curious to the other side of the story but really persevering or pushing through not sitting back and i feel like as a mom too right you do everything for everybody else first mm -hmm. maybe there's time for you at the end of the day and trying to sometimes flip that really and say it's okay for me to put my need and want first and to ask for it so anyway that that's the way one way i've been working on it and with my spouse my husband to both practice and help each other is listening to a lot of different audiobooks a lot of different approaches to those hard conversations because i've struggled with that too yeah and i think just like anything like i always talk about this with my boys like riding a bike right just takes more and more practice i think the more times we step into learning how to advocate for ourselves and finding our voice the more practice leads to a better outcome, better results. We're able to manage our emotions and make sure our points are getting addressed and we're not forgetting anything along the way. So I think practice. Yeah, and, and the ability to say it's okay if I dip my toe in this and I'm not successful or it's not 100% positive the first time I do it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've accepted failure all the time, right? I just jump right in. Actually, I was having lunch with some of my friends last week, Friday, and they're like, geez, Jen, you just go so fast. I'm like, yeah, because why? What's holding you back? We don't know how long we have on this earth, so just go. And if we're going to fail, fail fast. Kind of goes back to the early part of the conversation <laughs> where you were going through that. I'm still, now that when I go to Six Flags, yeah. And we bring the family. I'm going to be watching that train, <laughs> looking at the, the bridge. Well, well, actually, I talk about this in growth because for the longest time, I avoided that theme park and I avoided that train. And it also gave me more of an awareness that you can't trust everything all the time because we have this like artificial sense of security when we go to these theme parks that, oh, their safety must be 100% secure, right? No, it's not. You, d you never know. So it gave me this layer of security. So I feel like my kids are so much more insulated because of my experiences. But I actually took them to Six Flags for the Halloween experience. I did not go on the train, but I was in the theme park. So growth can happen at any age. And I overcame that fear because I'm still here today. So. And through that, I'm sure you and the kids will remember that experience together yes. for a long time to come. Yeah. Yep. So just talking about the train, obviously... Mm -hmm. A dark time for you and your family i'm sure but right. you also mentioned earlier going through a lot of other dark times that has helped make you shape you to who right. you are today any of those you think would be helpful or care to share 
Sure. Well, this is probably why I was led to counseling, just because mental health is a thing. So at the time, before I found out that I was capable, I was very codependent, right? So my boyfriend meant the world to me in high school. And when he joined the military and was in the Navy, I was... I was here in St. Louis and all my friends had left, right? So I dealt with depression. I was super depressed because I didn't know who I was and I didn't understand my purpose, which led me to pursuing my degree at at Merrimack, which then led to transferring into FAMPA. But I was super depressed because I didn't have a voice and I was so dependent upon my friends and my boyfriend at the time. They were everything to me. So that was my first real experience with struggling with depression and trying to navigate what the heck that was. And it's so real. And um, I think, once again, understanding my limits, that's when I started to run. That's when I started to really pour into myself. And um, I dove right into all of the books that were given to me at school and really focused on building who I was going to become and who I was and finding my own voice. Um, The next real hiccup was when I write about this in growth, I had been working for a family business and I had just had my second son and everything in life seemed as though it was going well, right? We have a child. I just had my second son. We just bought our second house. It was essentially going to be like an annuity for us. It was going to be a vacation home that we could rent out. When I was the sole income and I was told after quickly getting released from the hospital that they couldn't afford to keep me, I was without an income and I was the only income. So I write about that in growth because it taught me so much about pushing through the hard and trying to stay strong for my children. And it was the most challenging year I had gone through financially because I could have lost everything. But we navigated through and I figured things out and I called it the year of pancake. But these, so. What, year of pancake, what do you mean by the that? The year of pancake, because most, like, most rely on ramen noodle, right? <laughs> well, uh, I had kids and they don't like ramen noodles. <laughs> so they like pancakes. So that was what we could get in surplus to get us through this year. But like, and then another thing was. My oldest was super sick for like the first six years of his life and I couldn't figure out what the heck was going on, like super sick. He would come home from the playground, have a bug bite, and next thing I know it's turned into a staph infection. He was constantly getting chronic ear infections from swimming at the lake or he was coming home with strep and all of this stuff while we were both navigating um, speech delays as well as developmental delay. He had both of those. So he had two IEPs as well as constant sickness. And my second son also had an IEP. So those six years of my son's life were really challenging. And I say two sons because they're only three years apart. So I had not only a six-year-old on an IEP with um, chronic sickness, but also a three-year-old who was also struggling with his IEP for his speech delay. That was super challenging because I was working full-time And at the time, it wasn't family business, so I was having to go in the office and leave my child who was sick at home, and it was breaking my heart. Um, So that was a really challenging time because I was feeling that mom guilt, trying to figure out how the heck am I going to get these kids on par where they need to be with their education, and then trying to be their health advocate to navigate what the heck is this? This is not childhood illness. So that's when I began to push the limits with the doctors to truly figure out what the heck this was. And that was a dark time because I wasn't sleeping. I had a newborn and navigating all of this extra education requirements. I remember picking him up on my lunch break because I was at the office. I'd have to go pick him up on my lunch break. I'd drop him off to this special speech program, then take him back to to, um, preschool to then work the rest of the day and then pick him up. And then we would go to night class as well for speech. So like that time was so chaotic and stressful and it was dark because it fell on my shoulders with making sure that I was his health advocate. I was making sure that his speech was coming along. And lo and behold, after lots of investigation, he just needed to be revaccinated for the pneumococcal and it alleviated all of his infections. And he's been healthy ever since. And then um, following six months from that, he graduated from his IEP and he's, you know, 
reading on par and no longer requiring any IEP services. So I would say because I had that self-awareness as an adult experiencing what depression looked like as an early 18-year-old, I already had that insight. So I knew when I needed to take time for myself and I knew how far I could push myself with being that parent and trying to show up for my kids to be their advocate. And um, yeah, now he's graduating from the fifth grade and he's reading at a seventh grade level. So it's incredible. And how's your, your second? And my second graduated from his IEP, actually the end of kindergarten, and he's right on par. So they're they're great kids and I do believe in early intervention. But if if they didn't have that support mechanism to push them through and take them to those services or even our community because a lot of communities don't have those opportunities. Um, I don't know what they would, where they would be now. So um, how'd you do it all? That's a lot. I mean, being a a parent is hard enough anyway, one and two kids. How would you manage all that extra on top of working full time and So I actually attribute that to my learning disability because I've always had to work twice as hard as the average bear, right? Um, Just to blend in, right? I was always a C student in high school, but I did enough work to blend in. And I think having that foundation of having to constantly push myself to my limits helped me show up in those capacities to be that mom that worked full time, navigated the kids and took them to all of these after school requirements and make sure they took them to the doctor's visits on time to do the checkups. But I just think it's actually probably because of my disability. I've always had to work twice as hard. So it just didn't feel like there was no other option. I never gave myself an out. I, uh, I've also felt that the challenges and the dark times in my life have pointed me in a different direction or have propelled me further than I would have been had I not. I think I've shared this in a different podcast and I share it all the time. Facebook, I know, but there was a meme. It was a bow and arrow of being pulled back. Sometimes you have to be pulled back Mm -hmm. to move further. I actually have that printed out. Yep. I I had that printed out on my wall because my third son, they said that he only had one of the feeding tubes and it is a bilical cord. So I I was, they didn't pick up on it on the... um, the ultrasound but then later we found out that both of the things were there and he was going to be a healthy child but when I got that news I was just broken and I didn't think I could handle one more stressor because we were already going through all those other things so I love that quote (laughs) yes yes and you know you mentioned something about mom guilt and I know I still struggle with that my kids are 11 14 and 16 I mean they're old enough, they're very independent, but that mom guilt of being a professional working mm-hmm. mom and dealing with that, how do you, do you get through it? How do you handle it? Uh, advice to other working moms out there who are struggling through that? It's hard and it's very much real. And uh, I think that's why the statistics about Forbes show that it's real. I mean, women are leaving the workforce and they're choosing not to come back if they're at the childbearing years because it is a challenge and it's a lot to juggle. Um, What I used to do before these anthologies when I had more time, I would run five miles every day. I'd get up at five. I'd run five miles because that's my outlet. I hinted to that how I got over my depression by running. Um, I think just really being intentional about time blocking has been critical for me. I push through even when I'm tired to do the things because at the end of the day, if they're already done, that's one less thing that I have to worry about. So I think the mom guilt is just always looming and it shows that you care. It shows that you want to show up for your children, but you also want to show up for yourself. So it's just that balance of navigating your priorities and making sure you always check yourself to make sure you're you're following through with your priorities because we can get pulled in many different directions. And sometimes that's okay, as long as it's bringing you joy and it aligns with your values. So I, I, my reason of how I've been able to juggle all those things is essentially time blocking and being really firm with my boundaries and then just pushing through the things that I don't want to do because I'm so tired, but checking them off the list so they're off. off. So I think some things I've learned too is that sometimes the mom guilt is inside of me mm-hmm. and it's not as bad as maybe... I've 
painted the picture as it could or should be. My mom was a nurse part-time. She was at a lot of things, but not everything. I mean, I was talking to my husband the other day. I think in high school on my soccer team, I had a parent at every game, I think. Wow. Um, you know, there were, there were four of us. My sister was in college at that point. I don't know if the boys, my brothers, played many sports at that point in time, if they had backed off most of theirs. So I have this idea of what I probably should be, but I also feel like life is more involved now. Mm-hmm. They request or need more from us you know sports start earlier projects schools etc start earlier and world hasn't adapted to two working parents uh, true <laughs> yes especially you know maybe uh, and, and this is not meant to be uh, too negative but maybe even what they request of parents with kids in school mm-hmm. because of how much you're working and when you have to go to the store at the last minute and i've I found talking about it with my kids has even been helpful to just out and out say, or my husband too, you know, I feel really bad. I can't make this event. And most of the time I've had my kids come back to me and say, you know what? It's okay, mom. We know you're working for the family. We know that we have these opportunities because you're working and and you don't have to be there. So that has really helped me ease off a little bit. And I think my 14 year old, she said it when she was 13 or younger has said, you know, it's really helped me to be more independent and even my 11 year old than a lot of my friends you know i make my own lunch going to school and they're like my friends don't know how to make their own lunch for school mm-hmm. so talking about it as you do and i think in general beyond the mom guilt talking about our stories as you said to help other women who are going through these same things to say you know what you don't necessarily have to stop working maybe there are ways the community can rally around you and help you stay in the workforce and we can all do this together absolutely well that was the whole sense that was the messaging behind why i did the anthologies because you know when you read these stories and you see yourself in these stories it alleviates some of that loneliness and i think life and all the things that we're expected to do it creates a lot of that loneliness so if we can alleviate it then that's we're just all better off or we can learn from the lessons that prevent us from going through those same challenges so yeah, but I'm still the mom that packs all the lunches too. <laughs> so I I so I saw my grandma, she stayed at home and she was the hands-on mom. And then my mom worked 60 hours a week in the car industry. So she wasn't able to do the things. And I just kind of always wanted to, I call it have it all, be that professional and then also be that present mom. So that's so I'm not the victim, right? Because I choose to do these things. But I've accepted that that's how I want to show up. So that's how I push through when it's really difficult, right? But not to say every week looks the same. Sometimes laundry's piling up and nothing's folded, you know? So I do think when we can lean on our community and ask for help or share what we're going through and share that it's just been a really crappy week. So then you can rally around each other to lift each other up. I think that's what we as women need. And that's essentially why I wanted to create that grit community, because I think that's a great place to have positive affirmations and to see what others are doing in the community and give them praise. And a lot of time women don't praise other women. And I think that's another thing that we need to do, particularly if you're you're juggling both things, being a full-time mom and you know a full-time employee, we we need to champion each other because that's a lot. That's two full-time jobs, you know? And I so. think the hard thing potentially is what do you compare it to, right? Yeah. In what you were saying, and I think the world is warming up to, is as women, moms, workers, whatever we are, right? our roles have changed drastically in the last several decades. So what is the norm? Well, there is no more norm. Mm-mm. And what may work for me may not work for you, may not work for so-and-so, for so-and-so, and and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Because there's beauty in the fact that as women, we can be so diverse and so different. And in the end, it all works. Yes. Whatever way we choose to go forward. I think that's a mindset of a leader because you don't have to fit in that box. You can do whatever works for you and what that looks like. So, yeah. so no more comparisons. No way. To anybody else or the way any other female is doing it. And then even if somebody's doing it different, but they're killing it and they're doing it in a positive way, provide support and and congratulations, pat on the back, as we all move forward onward together. Yes, leave the judgment at home. One of the quotes that I teach my boys is, the only person that you're in competition with is yourself. Because we are all different and we all have different talents and skills and attributes. So only you know what you're capable of. 
And were, are you better today than you were yesterday or the day before that? That's really what you want to. I, yeah. I can't, like I said, I can't compare myself to a WNBA player or uh, <laughs> soccer is my thing, but I still couldn't play professional soccer. I can't compare myself to, you know, Mia Hamm, Alex Morgan, and Michelle Akers, whoever. I'm pulling out some of the oldies, but uh, I can compare myself to Cynthia yesterday. And yes, we're not always going to be perfect. Nope. And you can't expect yourself to be every day. But that's not a sign of, did I win or lose today? Did I give my best in the moment with what I knew at the time? And I think that's a win. And we need to, as women, be able to sit back and celebrate. Absolutely. That's why I lean on reflection. And I think really being intentional about taking that time for yourself to check yourself, because you're the only one that has access to your brain and your heart and knows your soul. So are you being fueled? Are you being passionate about the things that are filling you up like only you know those things so you got to check yourself yeah so that's a great way to circle around to the end of this talking about what's fueling you what's your passion some things you've mentioned today but uh, in the past don't be too hard on yourself remember you're not stuck but your passion is really helping people in various avenues again the grit community sure i'm sure a million different avenues <laughs> yeah. so then how do we find you uh linkedin's probably the best i'm on there quite a bit um so linkedin and then if you're a woman and you're interested grit community is free it's something that i just give back to the community um and we can get you added in there so all through linkedin great well, go out if uh, for either of those or anything else on Jennifer's story. Go find her, talk to her, become part of the community. But again, I want to thank you for sharing, as we talked about, sharing your story openly with a lot of passion and heart. And I know I keep learning more from you every time we're together. So I'm certain that people out there will learn more and benefit from the work you're doing. So thank you. And thank you so much for letting me be here. I think it's a gift when we're able to be vulnerable and share more about who we are to maybe alleviate some of that judgment and those you know, preconceived notions about someone else. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak and be here with you today. All right, thanks. This concludes another episode of the She Lift Project podcast. To hear more episodes of the show, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And to learn more about our mission of helping women reach higher levels of success, visit sheliftproject.com and sign up to receive the latest news, ebooks, videos, and more.